Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here. Joined, I'd say as always, but not as always. I'm joined by Come on. the, Come the, on. the, the hit, the cool, the funkster of mm-hmm. Agnes Water. I believe mm-hmm. he hasn't been known as that mm-hmm. before, but I think mm-hmm. he will be known as that now. Um, he's going to be just come fresh off his skateboard. He's ollied his way into his office here to be on the podcast today. He's the coolest dude that I know and that you now all are aware of. It's Nick Cool Dude Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Nico, what's up, mm-hmm. dog? Yo, yo, peace, peace up, fool. Um, yeah, uh, just just kicking it real, y'all. Oh, it's so cool. You're sipping on your chamomile tea there. <laughs> it's a cup. It's a cup of tea with milk and honey. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nick, Nick. For those just listening, um, you probably heard in the last few episode Nick giving me crap because I've been wearing my hat backwards because I'm 40 in a couple of weeks and trying desperately to cling on to my youth. And I turned on Zoom today when good old MindFit entered the room and Nick had his hat on backwards. And it, it made my day. I'm a bit sick and tired today, to be honest. And just seeing Nick with his hat backwards is, has lit me up. Now, leave I'm it backwards. Leave it backwards, and, I reckon. Or not. It's uncomfortable. It's is uncomfortable. it? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, Nico, we have a, a guest today. It's been a few episodes mm. now since we've had a guest on, so I'm very, very excited to hear from him, we have Mitch on today. Nick, tell us a little bit about the amazing Mitch and, and what he's going to offer us today. I wanted to talk about UFC for an hour because me and Mitch love the UFC, but Nick's put the kibosh on that. What a good word, kibosh. And so we're just getting into a – I'm probably right. talking about mental health and shit, I guess. I'll put you both in a double headlock and um, came off the top rope with you and um, put you into a stunner. And submitted you both into talking about mental health because Mitch, uh, I just, as I said just before we got on, um, I think this is the first time where we've had someone who's been doing the work with MindFit, which Mitch has been for a couple of years now, and now he's uh, found his way into your ecosystem. So he's got a foot in both camps, and um, yeah, I just, I just thought the listeners would get a, a lot out of listening to. To Mitch on his journey, you know, everyone, because a trap I see people fall into a lot is they think that growth needs to be a linear trajectory. And it's like, now I'm here, now I've got to get to there. And and I've got to get there in this time frame. And they start comparing other people and, well, where are you up to on your journey? Or, or Nick's there, I've got to reach where Nick is and blah, blah, blah. And so I think it's really important. You know, Mitch is unique in, in his journey is unique and all of our journeys are unique. So I just... I think it'd be really beneficial for clients and for Mitch to um, to hear and, and speak about about just a different kind of journey and and one that Mitch is you know, continually turning up for uh, and what comes with that and there's a, a deep amount of trust. I mean, Mitch, my relationship has evolved over the time and and you know it's just such a a privilege and and, and genuinely an, an honour to to be a part of someone's life in, in that capacity. So I just, yeah, wanted, wanted to invite Mitch on to speak of it. Shoot the shit. Mitch, thanks for joining us, mate. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, I haven't got I a hat on. Be... Yeah, I was just saying before, I can go and get a hat, turn it backwards. I do yeah, own a hat. He's got, a, he's, got a metaf- he's got a metaphorical hat on. 
Right. Okay. Haven't you mentioned um, you've got the. Yeah, before we jump into the nuts and bolts, I guess, Mitch, um, do you want to let everyone know just a little bit about you and I guess what led you? We talk about the work all the time, right? I think you said in the last episode, Nick, if you were the supreme ruler of the universe, which is a role that you like to imagine many times, is that you, <laughs> is that you would uh, decree, uh, what, what was it? You would decree that the work was mandatory. Yeah, we, we have such a powerful mind, and Mitch is, Mitch is you know, going to be a great example of this today. And uh, I was with a client yesterday, and the amount of suffering that we can create, the, the, how powerful our mind is, and, and it's neglected. People just leave it to its own device and expect to feel wonderful and happy and function well and optimally, and it's just it, it doesn't – the math ain't mathing. So you gotta gotta turn up and realize what you got, and with great power comes great responsibility. So we have a responsibility to to do the work. And Mitch is Mitch is doing his. Yeah, nice mate. Well, Mitch, let us know, let the listeners know a bit of your background and sort of what led you into this work. Um, was Nick says he's been working with you for a couple of years now. Was like MindFit your first port of call when you were reaching out for help, or, or was something else happening? Uh- yeah, now there's a few different chapters to my journey. Um, I guess like anxiety is on his way to the NBA, won't you? The NBA journey. <laughs> what do you say, Master, Masters? On, 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 on his way to the NBA and on the NBA track and all the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, like anxiety started for me as like more of a chronic thing. I guess I was a child, I always had like worries and a bit of an anxious mind and stuff, but it became kind of an issue early 20s, I'd say. And that's probably the first chapter got into a relationship that I probably shouldn't have stayed in that for much too longer, much too long. And then, yeah, had various kind of iterations dealing with, you know, a psychologist that had some results. And then that was a couple of years and then was still kind of feeling a bit lost. And I guess I just lost my center through my 20s. It was a quite a long journey of experimentation with different modalities and trying to find my way back to my centre within myself and, yeah, Nick's heard it all, but, you know, there's lots of kind of experimentation with different psychedelics and meditation retreats and delved into Buddhism quite heavily and probably misinterpreted a lot of Buddhism quite heavily as well. How so? <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting topic, like misinterpreted, how do you think? And it's I very think, common as well. It's really common. Yeah, for some reason I had this perception misperception perhaps that it needed to be or I needed to be some stoic monk without any emotion so I think I repressed a lot of my what you know so-called negative emotions like anger and you know things like that and just got very yeah trapped in my own mind like I overanalyzed a lot of things I think I have a tendency with my mind to be overly analytical intellectual and that led me into a yeah, a lot of problems. Still something I'm kind of, I guess, working through is, is to try and allow my mind and myself just to come up to the surface a bit more and not needing to analyse everything to death and try and find some perfect answer to it all. Yeah, well, I'm with my, you, mate. I'm, my, I'm working um, on it too. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all in the same, we're all in the same boat. My, my observation of Mitch was he was in suffering you know, he was, he was trying all these these cures and, and ailments and, and, and tonics and everything, and then he found Buddhism, which deeply resonated with him, and he just – he was thirsty and he drank too deeply from the well and he he just – he fell in the well, basically, and, and, and just took it and turned it into 
the antithesis of what it actually is. You know, it's, it's the whole purpose of Buddhism is to alleviate suffering. Uh, and Mitch, as you just said, and to liberate people. And Mitch got Mitch used it and, and to, to, to be trapped in his own mind. And um, yeah, it was- probably caused me more suffering. It really can. Like, I've seen it so much over the years. A lot of what we teach at the center is just honoring what we're feeling and that we're human beings and we do have emotions yeah. and we fluctuate and it's up and down and our resistance to that is what causes so much suffering. We, I, yeah. I this wasn't of a Buddhist um, nature, but there was a guy that, so Matt, who we were talking about before we press record, we always send each other stuff. We might see of someone promoting something online. That's funny. And he sent me one of this guy that we still talk about. And he's like, I've deleted every emotion and state except for certainty. And so he's like trying to teach like certainty and everything. And so oh. the the issue then becomes yeah it's hilarious but like shocking at the can, same can time. You, can, can you loop me in on those that stuff? That'd be yeah yeah. I'll show, I'll, I'll, I'll create a group chat. And um and so but the issue there is whether it's with him or, or anyone else and everything. Like I like, I like the example of being really thirsty. I remember early on my journey, I was just super thirsty and ready to drink up whatever yeah, was, was, was given to me. And so someone comes along who's in a vulnerable state and they're like, oh, okay, great. I can just delete all these emotions and I won't have to feel sadness or grief or anger or hurt anymore. And then not long into that journey, guess what? They've got all those emotions because they're human. And every time they feel it, they make themselves wrong for feeling it because some teacher has said, you know, you shouldn't be feeling these things once we delete it, which just creates more levels of shame and and resistance and suffering. Yeah, I think that was my my basic premise i guess going into it was a denial of my humanity and a lot of the work with nick has been yeah kind of re-establishing that connection with my my humanness you know actually allowing well, we call, to we call it getting we call it getting distorted at the distortion or going into suffering at the fact that you're in suffering instead of learning to just let it in and let it out yeah and and it's it's so as i said it's so prevalent people come into contact with buddhism and uh, and they become apathetic and they think that apathy is the way forward, and and instead of learning to go, oh, actually, I'm I'm here to to be sad. I'm here to it's that um it's a yeah. We, we just put mental health as a spectrum of emotions, and there's pleasant one and an unpleasant. And as you alluded to, us there's there's this we're trying a condition to only want, and this is attachment. We 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 desire the pleasant ones and have an aversion for the unpleasant ones. And so everyone's like, oh, Buddhism, yeah, this is great. All the while, they've got the deepest attachments that they've ever had in their life, which is creating the absolute opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so interesting. Uh, Mitch, you mentioned there, uh, you know, plant medicines and that kind of thing. Is there anything you want to share there? If it's, you know, not a straightforward story or anything, but maybe just lessons time. learned on that yeah. process as well? Because that's a topic that's come up a few times on the show as well. Yeah, Nick, oh, offered, yeah. Nick offered to do mushrooms live on the show, and I've still, if I ever come across someone selling mushrooms, I'm doing it, and we're doing it on the Woke Blokes <laughs> podcast. Right. I can definitely let's, saw let's something. I'd love to see that, the mouth of the mushrooms, and see him go into his Maharaji state. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it on. <laughs> do it up in Agnes Waters. Yeah, no, I'm happy to, to share. Yeah, I've got a couple of, and I'm not a... I'm not an advocate nor a detractor per se, but I'm definitely not one seeing it with rose-tinted glasses and saying it's a panacea because it wasn't for me. I think there's a lot of advocates for it in the psychedelic space that see it as some cure-all and, you know, this amazing connection with divinity and God and, and maybe there are examples of that and I'm not, you know, 
detracting from people that have had great benefit from those experiences. But for me, I found it super harrowing. <laughs> for lack of a better term, using that word very specifically, like some of the experiences almost an, an inverse effect on me i'd say like i did I, I dove into the deep end i'd say with a lot of it like i went to like a 12-day ayahuasca and san pedro retreat in ecuador and just that just blew me apart right like the ego just got obliterated for for numerous days and then i kind of left that with little integration and just feeling like i've been blown apart and just trying to find my way back to back home to myself right you know that was yeah it was i guess in one sense it was you know, very kind of amazing experience in the, the literal sense of that word. But I left kind of feeling like you don't really get much integration or support after you leave the retreat and you're just kind of back in society and you're like, I've just been in another dimension for two days. It's like, what am I? I'm meant to integrate. What do I do with this? So you've done ayahuasca. Um, I've you've done, done a retreat. Oh, you've done two Vipassana retreats, I think. Yeah, I've done a few silent meditation retreats, and those have been pretty good, actually. Like the one I did in Bali was nine days, um, and that was that was really great. Like it was very challenging throughout the experience, but when I came out the other side, I felt you know probably the calmest I've ever felt in my entire life. You know, it's like taking MDMA or something; you just feel super calm and connected. Very different to a psychedelic. Ryan wouldn't know what that's like. Ryan, Ryan doesn't know what. <laughs> no, no, it's a teetotaler. Just a little bit of milk and honey in my yeah. tea is enough for me. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, the the Buddhist or the I guess meditation retreats have uh, been something else. I've I've done a few times. I've done a few ones in Monbolka, the Buddhist monastery, as well. But they've been shorter ones, like three or four days. I guess the longer ones probably have more profound effect when you come out as opposed to the shorter ones. The short ones, you don't really get the same benefit, I'd say. What had you done that day, uh, MME? You just, you, I think it had been an MDMA experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that made me sound no. like a, a drugger. Yeah, I did uh, I did uh, almost oh, OD nice. on That's MDMA uh, at one time. Probably, it probably was technically an overdose, but I didn't go to hospital for it, but... I took, I missed the decimal point measuring the MDMA and ended up doing 10 times the anticipated dose, which is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, he, he emailed you and that's like, Nico. Well, not so, in the state, no. I, I, um, and I wasn't throwing under the bus, image. I was, I, I think you're far, far from a druggo. It's, it's, I think you just. <laughs> And, and that's where this vulnerability is important because it helps other people are going to be sitting there going, oh, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, I'm in suffering, I'm looking for a way out of suffering. And so that's you kept ex opening all these doors and you know, yeah. the, sort of through these, you were trying to change the chemicals and the chemical state that you're in. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a fair but, assessment. Yeah, and like, yeah, MDMA is always, uh, I haven't done it that much, I've done it a handful of times, but the times that I had done it, I had a really you know positive experience, felt very loving and connection and, you know, I've heard you and Ryan, particularly Ryan, talk about it before. It's like when you're seeking that connection, that sense of love, that's what the substance is kind of giving you, that you know, that uh, that pseudo-connection, right? And that's what I was, was looking mm. for in, in various states and substances. And, yeah, I thought MDMA, why not do it during COVID to try and feel that, that connection again? And it ended up being uh, a pretty bad experience, particularly the following week because, yeah, I took way too much. 
Yeah, and from my perspective, it was just really interesting to to see your sort of journey after that as well, and you know, you, you the way that you had to, as you said about the ayahuasca, reintegrate yourself, and I think that's you know, a, a good word for your journey is this continuing to integrate um, and allow yourself to be a human and a spirit and a mind and a body and emotions and, and just integrating all of these and, and allowing them to coexist in, in harmony uh, in, instead of in conflict perhaps. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And I think like doing the work, I got, I probably got it wrong for a lot of the time with yourself, you know, I came at it from a yeah, that more analytical vantage point, thinking that I needed to figure something out or fix something. There was a formula to be had and it was more about all well, the work is more about acceptance and just allowing what is and what I am, which changes, you know, every day. Yeah, it's that. We we yeah, have an but- orientation that fix we call it, yeah, the fix it orientation. It's one thing that, you know, we would teach our practitioners in it's trying not to have that with ourselves and with clients as well, because it's like if I need to fix someone then i inherently think they're faulty and we uh, we view ourselves through that lens whenever we're in some sort of suffering or in our humanness we just see ourselves as faulty in some way and it's like a self-perpetuating thing i'll always have something to fix so i'll always be faulty so i'm always trying to get somewhere that i'm never going to actually get to and um so it's like it's not because I have that very analytical mind as well, Mitch. And it's like, there's, you're not going to find like, I imagine like the big, you know, physics equation on the board. And one day you'll see it and go, oh, my whole life makes sense. Everything works because I'm of this equation. Yeah. I mean, like that's the enlightenment yeah. equation. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. We have to actually reorient the way that we view ourselves, even that analytical mind that's always searching for answers. Yeah, yeah, I think it's spot on. And I read a quote the other day that said, life is not an equation to be solved, but an experience to be lived. And <laughs> ah, yeah, that fits quite on. perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no segue. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I too have an analytical mind and, and I think I, I see a lot of uh, my my old self or an old version of me in Mitch. And, and you know, I, I had that, tendency to try and fix myself. I always saw myself as someone who needed to be figured out or needed to a problem to be solved or whatever. And I speak to Mitch and all my clients very openly about letting go and just self-acceptance and the relationship with self is the most important one. But I also still get caught up in it. I, um, the empath part of me, can feel pain and feel suffering and feel other people's emotions. So, you know, poor old M uh, is in a relationship with someone who on one hand can, can hold space for everyone, but with her, because I feel her everything, I, I then try and fix her and I've, I've got to work diligently on, on getting that into, um, well, I don't know. Just, just, just letting that go as well. So, we all have this this mind that is going to and do all these funny things and and cause all these funny experiences. And and it's just you know, as I said, to come back to Mitch and and everyone else that's doing their work, it's just it's about allowing that to exist and not being triggered by it, but simultaneously going, that's also not working for me or for other people. So. It's, it's this really interesting balance between 
I need to evolve, but I don't need to be fixed. Uh, I've, I've, I've got to grow out of this, mm. but I'm not doing it through having an aversion to who I am. Yeah, that's a really great way to, to phrase it. And Matt, Ryan, Matt Kay talks about, you know, it's just like a deeper understanding. The spiral just kind of gets deeper and deeper as you kind of begin to understand more about yourself and, and how you operate in life. Yeah. Would you say, Mitchell, that Nick described that, um, you know, the feeling a lot, I guess, you know, whether it's in ourselves or around other people, is that something that you feel like you have that kind of nature as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you guys did an episode in the, the HSP and uh, empaths and, yeah, I've always seen myself in that category, like very sensitive as a child and, and I still carry that sensitive throughout my life. I probably have suppressed it, I guess, at certain points, consciously or unconsciously. Um but yeah, very much an empathic soul. And I'm kind of moving into the, the same profession. You know, as you guys are finishing my diploma in clinical hypnotherapy and you know, wanting to Ooh. become a healer at some point as well. Yeah. There you go, Mitch. Um, I say a, tra- that- a, a trap. Go ahead, Sorry, I said a, a trap that trap empaths fall into is becoming a wounded healer. So Mitch and I have been speaking a bit about that lately about, you know, you're going to tell, you're not going to be perfect and you don't have to be if you see yourself as imperfect you'll be a wounded healer and that's where you'll be so it's about you know just coming to this i just am and you just are and let's meet there and see what happens so well, what sorry, a lovely way to, to interact with another human i'm here you're there let's <laughs> let's dance you know that's beautiful <laughs> um yeah yeah i just i was asking that mitch because i think a lot of people obviously we have you know three out of four people listening to this show are, are men and that analytical mind, so I have an analytical mind, I can analyze things. Classically, that's sort of, if someone said they're analytical, then they say, oh, they're not very emotional, you know, and maybe right. and maybe vice versa the other way. But the two are so incredibly linked. And I think a lot of us, I know this from personal experience and working with countless people, it's like we use the analytical mind, not consciously, to escape from what we're feeling. Because what we're feeling through certain yeah. periods of our life is so intense that the mind's like, hang on, let me put your consciousness up here, not down here, yeah. because up here I can try and give you some sense of safety if I analyse a situation enough that I can get some semblance of an answer. That might make me, like, be able to calm down those emotions. Oh, I absolutely do that, particularly in that relationship that, you know, quote-unquote, I shouldn't have been in. I, I was trying to analyse my way out of it instead of feeling what I was really feeling because the, the outcome I felt was too painful. That version of me, you know, didn't want to end it because of fear and then, Try to rationalize my, my, you know, my way of staying in it. Try to figure out an answer, but the answer really lied in the emotions and how I was feeling. But yeah, exactly what you're saying. I just jumped straight into the head to try and think my way out of a solution that couldn't be thought. Much, much of my work is to try and get Mitch to fall out of his head and into his heart, and because it's such a beautiful heart, it's such a, you know, there's so much to offer and to give and everything. But when he gets trapped up here. Uh, you know, it's just the imagination's running wild and it's just creating all these illusions of things and there's this just this narrative and, and I think we've spoken about he's his central to his own narrative a lot of the time. So he's hyper-focused on himself and, oh, and I have this and that applies meaning to that. And I sit there listening to him and I'm just like, just a powerful mind, just a, a powerful, powerful oh, yeah, so mind. What, what just no, no, it's 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 it's, it's in, yeah, incredibly powerful, and it's like 
there's always two sides of the coin. It's like we spoke about the HSP thing. It's like there's incredible benefits for that in terms of connecting with people, helping people, um, being creative, artistic. But at the same time, it, a lot of people see it as a curse because they don't know how to process yeah. this stuff and they feel too much. And same with the mind. It's like, you know, the human mind is an incredible thing. It's bloody taking us to the moon. It's taking us to Mars and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it also causes great anxiety by analyzing things that might be happening in the future that don't eventuate. What's it? Yeah, what's, yeah. Nick's Nick's analogy is the double-edged sword. Why he's laughing? Why he's laughing? It took us to Mars, and in my head, all I had was it took me to Uranus. <laughs> well, you had on backwards again. Yes, thank you. Sideways, yeah, that's better. Well, that's the human mind hasn't done that yet. That's the next great frontier, right? <laughs> Uh, the double-edged sword, Mitch, yes. I, um, speaking of double-edged swords, uh, I'd love to get see if you folks have come in contact with this. It's new to me. Uranus. The, the empath thing, I've, I've, been, I've been, after our episode, I've, I've had some people asking about it, so I've, I've started exploring a bit more. And em, em, empaths are on a spectrum. Guess what's at the other end of the spectrum? Psychopaths. Psychopaths. Close. Narcissism. Which one percent of narcissists have um, narcissistic personality disorder, and can be sociopaths and everything? They're, they're devoid from. I didn't. I didn't. It just never dawned on me for some reason. Never clicked that. So um, we're the same, but at the opposite end of the spectrum. And, and so if we're if we're out of balance and they're out of balance, we're the same. So it's really interesting because it's it's a. Um, Empaths don't um, set boundaries, or they just absorb everything, and, and uh, you know they, they attract narcissists and empaths can attract each other um, because it's a, a symbiotic relationship. It's like it's like a, a lock and key kind of bond deal. Yeah. It's a very touchy subject. Yeah. It's like people. It's a very touchy subject that it's like the. The narcissist well, narcissism needs, is horrible. It? it is, but like a narcissist is uh, needs somebody to control and feel power over, but also subconsciously uh, the person needs to uh, be controlled or be the victim in order for the narcissist to come into play, and it's like a, a dance. So, totally, but where they meet is in insecurity. Both of them yes. are just deeply insecure. One goes into this controlling nature, one goes into this, I need to be controlled by nature, so... Yes. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating things we are, and that's it. if we if we can look at ourselves with curiosity and wonder, and, and much of our work with Mitch is being you know you are the most the, the biggest source of stimulus in your life, Mitch, because you are all the internal dialogues and narratives and sensations and conscious awareness of the choices and actions that you are doing. It's that learning to observe. We are just incredible. How wonderful. How amazing. Instead of that judging and criticizing and condemning that destructive, harmful yeah, relationship where we're away the fabric. Yeah. Sorry to try. Yeah. It's a huge trap for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, this perfectionist tendency. And I have that in spades, you know, this this need, constant need to try and find, you know, a, a better version of myself, constant improvement, some kind of perfectionist. You know, thing in the future that I attain that I'd be whole, and it's just the biggest trap you know, that that I fell into. And yeah, I guess it's Sounds a, impressive if you can get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't exist, right? It's like you know, the, the fact that the first thing you said to me in our discovery session was, 
why are you trying to be perfect? Name one person on the planet that's perfect. And it's like, you know, I couldn't name one. Imagine if Mitch was the first. No, Imagine if he what, achieved perfection <laughs> and all, all the recovered perfectionists are like, I knew it. I knew it was a possibility. <laughs> Damn you, therapy. Damn you. <laughs> you held me back. You held me back. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, no, it's gone. I, I think in that, in that initial session, it was all, it was all about, um, yeah, just helping Mitch to realise that we can have these goals, but they're different to expectations, and that's the trap Mitch falls into, and I and you and everyone falls into, is these, we form these expectations, uh, and I must get there, I have to get there, and if I don't get there, that means that blah, 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 and that's where we start opening up this narrative and creating these fantastical illusions. But the goal is to just surrender, and the goal is to understand that as soon as we surrender and let go, we become exactly, we don't have to try, we don't have to, all the neurosis goes away, all the stress, all the anxiety goes away when we just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm just just be, and that's the, the biggest, yeah. it's, it's almost too simple. For, for our yeah. minds, it's almost, and I've spoken to Mitch, it's almost too simple for an analytical mind to grasp. What do you mean? Just but how do you let go? And what does letting go look like? And what happens if I let go? And yeah, yeah. just just do it. Yeah, I mean that was revelating for me when I was like, oh, I can just be. It's like I don't need to do anything or achieve anything <laughs> or challenge. It's like the biggest breakthroughs have honestly been that realization, which comes in like dribs and drabs, right? It's not this permanent realization. It's like you get this clarity or insight. It's like oh, I can just I can just be it. I don't need to achieve anything. It's like. <laughs> Well, it's a good point. But I am achieving. It's not, it's, it's not that I'm not achieving. It's I am achieving. It's just different to what I, that perfectionist tendency part of me thinks I should be achieving. There's that demand on the self, which is crippling. Yeah, it's a good point. Though. I said, you know, it's not like a permanent state. A lot of people on this journey think, oh, once I get past my perfectionism or my people pleasing or whatever it is, then just a switch flicks and that's it. But we kind of come, we come in and out of it. And maybe it's like, yeah we feel okay just being for an hour and then it's like, okay, this is different and it might go in a minute or 10 days, but at least now I have some guideposts of where, you know, it's nice to get back to, you know, that's why, you know, meditations, you know, great. Sometimes we'll meditate and it might be, we've been doing it for months and months and we're like, what the bloody hell am I doing this? Then we have that moment of this peace and we're like, oh, now I'll at least know where to like set the GPS. Whereas before I didn't know where I was going. I was wandering aimlessly. Um, and then maybe the next but time the it's like- people make there, The mistake people make there is they experience that and then they form an attachment. They form a desire to remaining in that space or they keep getting back into there. They don't realize that they achieve that by letting go and just allowing- Allowing that to be created. That's all create. It's all create. We don't create it. It is created. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I remember when we were, Mel was pregnant with Tommy and I was reading some of those parenting books. Most of them were just complete rubbish, by the way. They do not prepare you for being a parent. Anyway, <laughs> one of them that I did like, um, they were talking, no, no, this actually wasn't, this was my old mate Singer, who I bring up just about every show. Singer. And he's like, Singer, he's like, buddy. he's like, you're not making the baby. He's like, you know, it's like, no, but we had sex and it's gro I'm growing it inside. Because go into that room and make me an eye and come back. Did you do it? It's like, no, life is making the baby. Like, it's happy. You're just sitting there, like, you know, holding it in a, in a compassionate way. But you're not making it. It's not yours. It belongs to That's the awesome. universe. 
And so in that way, you, so you kind of let you let go of that me and mine, which is the ego talking. Yeah. Our version, our version of that, Mitch, is meeting the universe halfway. All you've got to turn up, is, do is turn up and have sex. The, the rest is the oh, universe job. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I know what I'm doing the first of my day. <laughs> all you've got to do is swing the golf club. The rest just happens. Oh, God, I'm struggling with that bit. Oof. Yeah. I know. Mitch, Mitch. Uh, I'm sorry, Mitch. <laughs> I had 36 points on the week. Anyway, Mitch, um, well, let's start talking about golf. Where, where are you at oh, the moment on your journey? Like, what's the what's the nugget that you're chewing on at the minute, or, or something that you're that's most prominent for you? Nick's laughing at the, the nugget chewing, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, like the next chapter for me was was last year. So last year, well, start off the year before last year. I did six months overseas in Colombia and South America, which was an amazing time. I was in a really great space, and yeah, a lot of breakthroughs with Nick, and was feeling. Um, yeah, fairly centered and just happy. I mean, I guess everything's a bit rosy tinted when you're overseas. Everything's kind of new and exciting and you're traveling. And yeah, it was a really great experience and was learning Spanish and all the rest of it. And then I came back. It was Boxing Day of 22. So I was back and it was kind of exciting when you come back because you're looking forward to seeing family and friends again initially. And for the first week, I felt that kind of hive coming back. And then something happened. I just spiraled really quickly in January of 2023 and just started feeling anxiety and stress to a, to a level I'd never experienced before. I'd had a lot of panic attacks and stuff before throughout my twenties and struggled with kind of depression and anxiety and things like that. But what happened last year was just on a different level. It was, I think it was this, a combination of things. I'd quit my job. I'd started a business. I'd started studying. I'd come back from overseas and my nervous system just went, nah, we don't like this. And just, at the bed, for lack of a better Shut term. <laughs> yeah, and I was just I was experiencing panic attacks that just weren't turning off, and this hyper derealization, and uh, just like involuntarily shaking in bed from this kind of adrenaline, and that's something that I'm still working through. To be honest, it's I've I've improved since then. There's been different kind of ebbs and flows to that, and I've done a lot of work with Nick last year, and and also with Matt Kay now through the Center for Healing. Ryan for the kind of nervous system side of it, which has been great as well. Um, but yeah, there's a, few, I mean, there's a few funny stories now in hindsight. I remember eating Nando's at Eastland during, this might have been February, so it's kind of during the thick of it. And like, you know, I felt like reality started to bend this like sense of derealization and unreality and panic attack. So I text Nick, I'm like, Nick, we need a session. I think I'm having an existential crisis. And Nick said the best thing ever. I still forget. He's like, he's like, is there anything bigger than that? And I'm like, yeah, it kind of broke the spell for me. The spell for me because I'm like, oh no, there probably isn't actually. Is there? It's like the biggest thing you could think of an existential crisis, and I was kind of defining that. So, yeah, that, that was funny. Good, good I have to. I, I, my, my approach with Mitch is is often because um, he he goes so far that way. I try and stay over here and, and not. You know, meeting him where he is, or, or honouring where he is, but but going, all right, you're in an ex. You've created this narrative that you're in an existential crisis. Let's lighten that up a bit. Let's. You know, I'm always. I don't know how Mitch is experiencing it, but I'm always trying to bring lightness to the sessions and and get Mitch laughing and teach him to throw himself under the bus and not take himself so seriously a bit at times, or life so seriously, or the universe so seriously. You now he. he his na- and getting to know his nature as well. Like we spoke one time, Mitch, about 
having the bends, you know, it's like a diver who goes deep and and, and comes up too quickly and, and, and Mitch's nature and mine and probably yours a bit is to hang out in those depths and because it's cool down there and what's that and this is cool. But everything that we love and, and connect with and associate with is up on the surface. So we do need to learn to live on the surface, but to, to, to pick and choose when we go deep and there's a time and a place for it and Mitch just you know hadn't found that balance yet yeah I think yeah it is absolutely I've taken life way too seriously and all of that and I think the Benz used that terminology specifically for that period last year where I just came to the surface too quickly you know like a diver scuba diver coming to the surface too quickly and everything just like wigging out you know it's Lots of oh, the, the systems can't the systems can't yeah. regulate properly. There's too much oxygen, you know, not enough oxygen, or too much carbon dioxide, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think I offered to Mitch in his last session that he, that he needed to go go to the strippers. That was my that was my <laughs> advice, <laughs> <laughs> my therapeutic advice. <laughs> my joking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grab some titties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grab some titties. That was it. Grab some titties. Go and grab, grab yourself and grab some titties. <laughs> Have you followed your <laughs> my, my guru's sage advice? I, I didn't actually go to the Super Bowl. I, I followed the advice and went to uh, the Sporting Globe for Super Bowl Monday with some mates. So that was the yeah. That was the that was, that was the grounding. Yeah, the it's grounding. all uh it's all a balance, isn't it? We're always understanding our nature and knowing where we need to balance out and. Yeah, yeah, I know. For me, I'm, I, if yeah, if I get my mindset on something, then I will go down that thing and start to neglect these other areas of my life. And if I keep doing that, I will end up out of balance and things yeah. like that, like going out with friends. Because I used to think, especially early on this journey, I'm like, oh, I'm going and having a few beers and watching sport and making and laughing with my friends. That's not going to serve me on my path to, you know, yeah. this, this particular <laughs> goal. And it's just looking back now, it's so funny. Like it's just so so funny because. You know, yeah. doing that stuff. And I think partly because I did that stuff to way too much of an extent, mm -hmm. you know, in the past. So now it really fills up my soul when things like that happen. And it's all just being able to balance ourselves out a little bit because it sounds like all of us have that nature where we'll go a bit too gung-ho in a certain area. And if we go gung-ho down a rabbit hole of, yeah, I want a spirituality or plant medicine or just really deep introspection, it I've rarely seen that work out well. Yeah, it imbalances us. And that deep introspection was being my path that's led me to imbalance, I guess. And, yeah, the work with Nick's been bringing me back to the surface a little bit more and trying to find that that middle, middle path, I guess. <laughs> it was a metaphor, right? It was a metaphor. It was, yeah, sure it was. But I think that's what drew you Meta to Metaphorical titties. I think it was that um, what drew you to, to Buddhism because it is the middle path or the middle way as it's referred to. It is about balance. It is about um, I, I'm not good or I'm not bad, but I just am. And and it's, um, yeah, so so I think that's probably what drew you there. And then, as I said, your, your unbalanced nature came into contact with that and just went, oh, let, let me consume all of this at once. Yeah. It is accurate. Do you have yeah. a relationship or a resonance with Buddhism now, Mitch? Yeah, I do. Look, I still, I do. Yeah, I, I still enjoy it. Like, it's the one thing that I was drawn to out of all the religions and just the one thing that I, I guess my mind 
enjoys it because it like the book i guess was quite intellectual like a lot of it's quite technical and proficient and there's you know there's a numbering system to it and i do enjoy reading it but it's more like if i come into contact with philosophy or spirituality or psychology now i'm trying to come at it from the angle of playful curiosity rather than this i need to figure this out because I was like, I'm going to dissect Buddhism and understand this, and I'm going to, like, figure out what's going on to, like, the nth degree. And it's like, you know, there's monks in monasteries that spend their whole life, like, reviewing Buddhism and not achieving enlightenment. So I'm like, I just need to take a, a chill pill and come at it a bit more playfully. Take one hand on the boob. That's just a thing. <laughs> <laughs> one hand on the textbook, one hand on the boob, yeah. Like yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. What a life. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> because I have, like, yeah. my, you know, my mind loves reading a lot of these deep philosophies, and I've got, you know, a bookshelf full of lots of spiritual books and, and all I the rest don't. So that's, that's the thing. I, because because I, I see so much of my own stuff, I, I found the, the healthiest way, and that's what I always come back to, the word health, the healthiest way for me to, to keep moving through this and to keep growing and evolving was to not go near the textbooks, was to not, you know, Dan is very proficient. He's read all the textbooks and uh, could quote you page 35 of the this or the that and that. And, and, and he's very, you know, and you're the same, Mitch. And, and I, I, I can't take that approach to it because it would engage and wind up and ramp up those parts of me and to which would bring me out of balance and i don't need the intellectual knowledge of it i need the embodiment of it and that's that's where i'm yeah. meeting i've never for one moment seen buddhism as a religion when you said you know out of all the religions i was i, I had this interesting buddhism is a religion what huh? Huh? Who, who sees it like that and uh, that's that's not what it is for me. It's just this path. And the IRS that's, tax purposes. That's that's who sees it as a religion. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, on my what are these cards, Hus? They're my angel, your angel cards. Your, your enlightened yeah. angel cards. Yeah, and my angel cards. It's um, the, the the path, and it's just like no did one says this. Did Melissa no. send you that video of me with the cards? No, she didn't. No? So I, she uh, the other day she has a deck of cards and Tommy was sitting next to me at the table and he was playing with it. I'm like, oh, hey, let me pull you a card, Tommy. And I was sitting there and they probably are angel cards. I'm pretty sure like that Melissa would have. <laughs> so I'm shuffling these cards and Melissa's taking a view. I'm like, don't, don't you fucking put this on TikTok. Like, don't film me. Like, put it away. And she's like, oh, I think I'll send it to Nick because I told her about me. <laughs> I can't believe she'd send no, it. No, she didn't. Okay. That'd be great. Um so the path is the, the 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 fourth noble truth, and that's all my whole relationship with Buddhism. I guess just while we're talking about it, it is probably stops at the four noble truths. Uh, anything beyond that would be too intellectual for me. Um, so the path, the path to enlightenment is an endless process. You have to practice diligently and with discipline. Eventually, you will become the path itself, and fewer struggles and sufferings will come your way. And that's what I've noticed, you know, pure mindfulness, pure occupation, pure, you know, I, I even can't grasp them all. I couldn't sit here and say all of the eightfold paths, but I know that um, I'm using the eightfold path, but without a conscious knowing of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's why I was drawn to Nick, like, early on, 
you know, you said exactly what you're just, just saying, that I hadn't embodied a lot of the principles. I'd read a lot of the theory and uh, intellectualized a lot of it, but I hadn't embodied a lot of the teachings. So that's been, you know, that was probably, that was very profound for me. I remember leaving that session and going, oh, yeah, it's spot on. Like, I need to actually live these principles that I'm reading and not just read them from an academic vantage point. I loved what you said the other week, Mitch, about, uh, you know, you'll sometimes leave a session feeling pissed off at me. And and what was that about? Was that your ego not getting what it wants or something? Or yeah, I can't remember exactly. But yeah, like sometimes you know, it's like it's not all like this amazing session. Sometimes I'm like leave a little bit frustrated or pissed off. I'm like, you know, yeah. But it's like I know it's that you have dick. my best interest well, because at heart, we get like, we yeah. get shout. You know, we ideally get challenged. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's what we know. I bet that wasn't the grab the titties session, by the way. Definitely wasn't that. No, yeah. no. Yeah, and that's you know. And for those listening, this is this can be this is an insight into a relationship between a, a client and a practitioner. It's not all just rosy and peachy. And oh, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, how many times have you felt that I've sympathised with you? No, I mean you'll never allow a pity party. And yeah, it's like I invariably I find myself going into one occasionally with you and you'll kind of pull me up and then challenge me and yeah it's like the ego doesn't like being challenged right and I might get pissed off or whatever but you know but, you but I'm challenging that. with compassion and with empathy yeah. and with understanding I'm not yeah. challenging in a judgmental way at all no no for sure yeah it's very easy uh, for a client to come in and go you know, well, yeah, and I got this new book and I'm reading that. And then the practitioner would go, oh, that's, I've heard that's a good book. Here, I'll give you two other recommendations to read after that. Uh, instead of just going, hey, how about we put the fucking books down and start to live some of this shit? You know? I banned uh, Mitch from books. I banned him from book bands. <laughs> I did. And listening to podcasts. <laughs> and the said, books. Yeah. But, but that, um, I just heard myself then. I was, I was saying, you know, I challenge you. And it took me back to last podcast episode was growth. You know, De Martini grows at the intersection of support and challenge. And so I'm supporting Mitch and I'm challenging. And I'm supporting and I'm challenging. I'm supporting and I'm challenging. And that's you know, his his growth has been at the exact pace that it's needed to be. And his ego sometimes with this perfectionist attitude goes, damn you, Nick, you're holding me back. I'm not enlightened yet. I'm not perfect. Why am I still on this journey? And and <laughs> that's where I'll just hold that space for him again and go, because you're human, buddy. Remember that? And, oh, fuck, yeah. And then he comes crashing back down to earth and he's like, oh, that's right. I love being human. I love being bitch. Got to get in a parachute sort of crashing back down to earth to sort of float gently back down to earth. Yes. All too true. It's a, fa- it's a, it's a fascinating ride. And what I love the most is, is that Mitch, is, you know, because it's resonated and, He's he's just graduated and, and done his his practical exams and everything. Did amazing at them, and and now he's you know, looking to to move into this space. And I don't you know think there'd be he's very qualified to to come into this space now. But you know the next the next hurdle for him to overcome is this: Am I qualified? You know, we can all sit here and go, "Yes, you're qualified on that level," and I think you're qualified on that level. But it's for Mitch to kick in that self-belief and that self-trust and that cultivating all those parts now to go, yeah, I can help someone else. And is that what's next, Mitch? That's what's on the horizon for you? 
Yeah, I'm in a bit of a transitional space in some sense. Like I've been in a town planner for over a decade. You know, I did a four-year uni degree as well. So it's been kind of 15 years in that one pathway. And then that, that never really felt like the shoe that fitted for me. And I guess through work with Nick, I've kind of realized that maybe I'm more suited to, you know, as, as an empath, kind of becoming a healer or entering that healing profession, however you want to frame it. So... Yeah, there's not immediate rush, but I do want to transition into it over the next kind of one to two years. Yeah, I, I need to earn a living and town planning is what, is what brings in the money at the moment. So, yeah. I don't know. I saw it the other day. Uh, you know, because of my own experience, um, it doesn't need to be a full-time job either. You can still mm. earn, you can still do town planning two, two days a week, two and a half days a week, and then see, you know, 10 clients a week there would be balance there would be a healthy i think if you if you went full-time therapist maybe that would be you know not great for you and then turn your clients yeah yeah i'll probably straddle the fence anyway for a couple of years for sure um so yeah i don't know we'll see how it all plays out straddle the fence are you laughing at that nick no, I was like, just got to, you know, just got to that empath kicked in. I was like, oh, that would hurt. I was straddling the fence. <laughs> a metaphorical straddle. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, look, I hope so. And I hope that, like, the sessions that I've done for my course, I've done, you know, 10 practical sessions and they've resonated with me. I've enjoyed doing them and felt comfortable in those shoes. So I'm looking forward to kind of segueing into that space eventually. So if, if someone's sitting there thinking they're in an existential crisis, Mitch, and they're, they're, they've been in suffering and they've been up in their head for many years and filled with feelings of anxiety and depression and lost, confused, which way's up, which way's down, what would you, what would you offer to, to the person sitting there listening to this in, in your position now? What, what advice would you give them? Please throw me on the spot. Yeah. Go see Nick. <laughs> uh, I think there's. <laughs> Go see Nick, grab some titties. I think that's probably. Yeah. Go to Spearman <laughs> Uh I think, I mean, there'd be numerous things. First of all, is that, you know, you're okay and you're on a journey and there's no quick fix, but you also don't need to be fixed. It's just about undoing layers of conditioning and aversions that we have to our. To ourselves, essentially, I think a lot of it comes down to the, the kind of aversions we have to our, our own our own self, our own person, and just really starting to allow ourselves more just to be as we are, accepting more of ourselves. So could we yeah. reframe this whole notion of therapy? Instead of going to therapy, could we get rid of the word therapy perhaps and, and go, all right, we're going to go into um, – you know, my client yesterday was – there's a plumber and he was talking to his apprentice and his apprentice and I'm feeling anxious and depressed and, and, and I open up and I'm like, great. And, and what did he say? He said, yeah, I started telling him about this. And, you know, I, I said, I went to a therapist. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. And what happened? And he said, yeah, he, um, he goes, oh, oh, what do you want me to go and talk to some stranger and speak to a teddy bear and lay on a couch? And I'm like, wow, what, a, what an interesting insight. To, yeah, so I, I don't think we're helping people <clears throat> to come and, and, and do this work um, because we're therapizing in it. So I think we could change the label of therapy and just go, just just come and 
unpack some stuff and learn. What else could we call it? What would like to get in the, the mental gym? You need to go see just to go to get in the mental gym, the emotional gym. No, no? It's, just, it's not even because it's still mental. It's still up here. It's, it's getting people out of there. And so it's just, it's just education. It's just learning. It's unpacking. It's, it's dissolving. It's breaking down. And so you can then break through. Go, go, talk, to a, go talk to a non judgmental mirror of reflection. Right? That's the way to frame it. There we go. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Like, well, where are they? <laughs> Got to go to Bunnings to get one of those. <laughs> Is it nonjudgmentalmirrors.com.au? Go on eBay. Um, yeah. Because uh, you've got to call it something, though, because, like, oh, you go, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, who am I going to see? Yeah. So, so, so Mitch was in suffering and he, he's, you know, he's, he's, Turning up and learning a process and learning uh, a, a, a different way of doing things, and it's just all trial and error. It's explore and experiment. It's it is this. Um, it's, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't therapize anybody. I don't do therapy. I'm not a therapist. But what do we I, tell I, that apprentice? You know, do we just say, "I oh, I need to put you in contact to speak to someone who who understands it and who's been there before," something like that. No, I, I said. I said to my client. I said, "What would have been great for you to, to offer him then is is that, yeah, yeah, that's how everyone sees this. But but my experience was was quite different. It was um, it was actually more educational. I did a twelve week program and I learned about how the mind works and I learned that you know taking drugs and alcohol every weekend isn't conducive to feeling happy. So what you know, that sounds like a rubbish course. Oh, Oh, sorry. So <laughs> I forgot who I was speaking to. Um, and it can land you in jail and get you doing hard time. So, um, <laughs> peace out to my Sally's. Those we lost along the way in those two days. Peace out. <laughs> we lost along the way. <laughs> Still doing hard time. Think of you. Think of you, man. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answers. It's just, uh, I, I said, just, just explain it to him. It's more about learning. It's, it's more learning than therapy. You don't need therapizing. You, you, you need to learn that your mind creates these certain emotional states and some of them are pleasant, some of them are unpleasant. If your mind is operating in this way, it will create more unpleasant emotions. So you can learn to train it to operate differently. I'd probably get rid of the teddy bear out of the MindFit headquarters, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Mummy, mummy, why did you do that to me as a child? Imagine being a fucking therapist and doing that. Oh, no. Dad, dad, (laughs) no, daddy. Being a good... uh, Look, uh, in what realm, in what universe would, would you... Conceptualize going. Oh, I'm going to take a teddy bear and get my. Well, it's like something from the 1950s or 60s. It's a relic that's uh, probably around less and less, but still around to some degree today. <laughs> they do that. Whatever works. Whatever works is my motto. Whatever works. Whatever works. Um, oh, Mitch, this has been great. Um, I think that a lot of people will resonate with this. You know, one thing for me, like. All the people that I've worked with over the years, whether they've come in for, you know, addiction, alcoholism, stress, all that, pretty much all of them say that they overthink shit. Um, A lot of people that are listening to this who probably never reached out for help are probably struggling with something similar to some degree. And just to know that it's, 
normal. It's part of the human experience under certain conditions is just uh, vitally important. So I hope that anyone listening who hears this is encouraged if it is a real problem for them to, to reach out somewhere uh, to get help from it. Come and, come and join the Recovered Overthinkers group. Well, thanks for having and me, let's guys. support let's let's support Mitch in, in in his pursuit of perfectionism. Let's let's all get around Mitch and help him <laughs> be the first person to be yeah. perfect. Yeah, how would we so, do that? We'd can you build to... statues of me in gold and put them around the seat. Yeah. Once you once you're perfect, not before. Yeah, yeah. yeah once That's perfect. another funny thing about Buddha. Did you tell me this, Nick? Who someone told me this that like literally in some of the ancient Buddhist text. The Buddha literally said, like, do never make statues of me. If you see one, cut its head off. There's literally like a million Buddha statues in the world. <laughs> people can't help deifying other people. It's so funny. I know, right? It's just... Yeah, Please don't deify yeah. me. Oh, we, we should extra deify him just because he said that. It's just humans are <laughs> yeah, so funny. Ramp this deification up, everyone. We're going... Platinum now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be platinum. It's going to be slightly bigger than the next biggest Buddha statue, just so it's a little bit bigger. Because that's what Buddha would have wanted. Imagine if he came back. Imagine if he came back and everyone knew that he came back and knew that it was him and he's walking around going, take that down. That's wrong. That's wrong. Would he just break down? He'd just walk through Thailand or something and just drop to his knees and go, for God's sake. No, he'd just walk around going, that's shit. Get rid of that. Piss that off. You're doing that wrong. And everyone... Buddhism would would have to collapse and then, you know, come back up again. Do you reckon he'd be like, I reckon the way he'd do it, he'd go, all right, knock all these statues down, come with me, everyone, we're going to the strippers, grab some titties. And then Buddhism would be built up from that point. It's say Mitch rolling along just about to walk into kittens in South Melbourne and he'd be like, follow that man. He's, he's, he's on the path. He's, the path. He's, the he's on the path. He is the path. <laughs> he, sees, he sees Mitch coming out at 4 a.m. covered in glitter and <laughs> drumming a titty with the Buddha. <laughs> This you man has reached it. He's reached, <laughs> he's reached enlightenment. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. I'm glad we took Buddha to the strippers. That seems like a really respectful and apt way to finish the podcast. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Thanks Very again, Mitch. Really appreciate you openly and vulnerably sharing your story, mate. It's um, that's yes, how we. Thanks, Mitch. Yep. That's how no worries, we appreciate Shane. Good on you, mate. Thanks for having me. See you. to the show also leave us a five-star rating we thank you so much and we'll see you all next time